0: Good morning everyone. Uh, My name is David Marshall. Uh, If you don't know me, I I, uh, am a pastoral candidate uh, here, an elder candidate, and, and I have the joy of being able to speak to you this morning. I am so thankful to be a part of this church. I am so thankful to be here with you guys. I'm looking out on so many faces, and I just am so grateful to be a part of this church and be a part of this family. Um, of believers. Um, just coming off of Thanksgiving, we got to spend a lot of time with family and friends and, and just remembering a lot of good times and, and different things. And so I, I'm truly thankful for, for just this church and the opportunity to be a part of this church. So I thought, uh, since it's Thanksgiving, I thought I would start it off a little bit lighter. Jason's probably heard this joke a, a, a ton of times, but um, I thought I would ask you guys what is, and I just found out this 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 past weekend, what is the most musical part of a turkey? The drumstick. The drumstick. That's right. The drumstick. There you go. You got it. I, I heard that this week and thought it was funny. So, you know, that's, that's me. So anyhow, um, I do have actually a couple more questions for you this morning. Now, I'm not going to grade you like Joe did last week. Um, I I understand he kind of gave you a pop quiz. uh, But I do have a couple of questions. These are pretty easy. I'm sure you guys are going to ace this because if you saw the title of the sermon, you, you already know the answers anyhow. So if I say to you, go, what question pops in your mind right away? Where? Go where, right? So if I em- emphasize the word tell, okay, and I tell you, go and tell, what question pops in your mind? Who, is it up there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> real, real tough. I, I knew you guys would ace this. <laughs> um, you know, these are questions that I hope to kind of, kind of answer today through today's passage. You know, when it comes to sharing our faith, I think that most of us, wish that God would just tell us where to go, what to do, what to say, and how to say it. If your experience is anything like mine, there are times that it is clear what I should do and what needs to be said, but many times it's a matter of stepping out in faith and allowing God to use the gifts that he has put in each one of us. God chooses to speak to us and use each of us in our own unique ways to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. There are people out there that God would love for us to share the gospel with. And with this in mind, I'd like to read through uh, Acts chapter 8 this morning. It's going to take us a little bit to get into it. But I want to look at some of the people I believe God calls us to tell. Now this is only a few of the possibilities. Uh, We're gonna look at some of the general groupings of people that Acts 8 describes for us. So in this chapter, we actually read three different stories of witnessing to others. And we're gonna look at each of these stories, and I think by the end of this uh, morning's message, you'll have a good idea to the answers of the questions who and where. Now, I want to start with the question, who? And we're going to start with the one that is probably the most difficult for all of us to do. It's nothing like jumping right in, right, and getting right to the heart. Um, We are called to tell our enemies. This answers the question, who? What do we say to our enemies? I think if we are honest about this question, we realize that going up to and having a conversation with someone we don't get along with probably is not going to go that well. So where do we start? I actually want us to begin where Joe left off last week, in the last verse of chapter 7, with the stoning of Stephen. Acts 7.60 says this, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen asked the Lord not to hold this sin against them. He is in tremendous pain at the hands of those he is praying for. He is dying and still finds it in his heart, to use his last breath to plead with the Lord not to hold this sin against them. In other words, he is forgiving them. How is this possible? He knows that they are lost without Jesus. He has compassion for them. He is showing an amazing example of loving his enemies in order to witness to them the love of Jesus Christ. He's able to do this because of the love that Jesus has shown to him. In his dying out, in his dying act, he is living out the words of Jesus in Luke six, twenty-seven through thirty-one, which says this But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. See, like Stephen, our witness to our enemies should be filled with love and forgiveness, doing good and praying for them. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this name correctly, but there's a guy named Sokriaksa Him. He is a Cambodian man whose story is one of the most horrific stories you will ever hear. He came from a large family and watched them all die. In 1977, they were beaten to death in front of him with machetes and hoes. He was 14 when it happened, and the killers thought that they had killed him too. They left him for dead, buried in a mass grave with 13 members of his family. His escape is a remarkable story. They left him for dead, buried in that mass grave. His desire for vengeance was every bit as powerful as the grief for his family, he says. He later became a Christian and came to realize he couldn't be a believer in Jesus and remain angry with his family's killers. This man who had endured one of the most nightmarish crimes imaginable with limited exposure to Jesus growing up realized the incompatibility of his burning anger with Jesus, who commands us to forgive. This is what he said. For years, I cultivated elaborate fantasies in which I tortured and murdered the killers again and again. Projecting all my rage and pain, I bottled inside myself in my plans for what I would do to the men when I found them. I realized that I would never know true peace until I had dealt with this as well. I had to find a way of forgiving them before the bitterness inside destroyed me. If anyone was entitled to righteous anger, it was Kim. him. Instead, he chose to forgive. He eventually found men involved, the men involved in killing his family, and he shook hands with them, forgave them, and gave them a Bible. What kind of impact do you think that had in their lives? Forgiveness is the essence of the gospel. Jesus is the ultimate example of forgiveness. He is being crucified and shares these words in Luke 23 and 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. We sang about this this morning. He is forgiving those who nailed him to the cross. Jesus is the example of love and forgiveness. What captures our attention is that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and is dying in our place it is our sins that placed him on the cross he died for our sins and freely forgives those who believe and have faith in him this truth impacts those who are his enemies some of you may know Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell they are both christian authors who were at one time professing atheists. They set out to disprove who Jesus actually was. But after examining the evidence and the truth of the gospel through scripture, they were transformed. In fact, we were all once considered enemies of Christ. James 4 tells us, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And don't forget about Saul, right? Which is where we get into our chapter this morning. Eight, Acts 8, chapter 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Talking about Stephen. Saul was watching Stephen's execution. And he consented to it. It was more than just giving an okay. He was well pleased with it. Doesn't God show the depths of his mercy and grace in saving such unlikely people? It may seem like it had not affected Paul at all because he went on to persecute many Christians uh, after Stephen's death. We know that Stephen's witness in his death did affect Saul, though, because we look at uh, Acts chapter 22, verses 19 19 through 21, which comes on later. And the transformed Saul, now known as the apostle Paul, says this, And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another— I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul tells us that Stephen was a witness to him. Even in his death, Stephen was witnessing to Saul. He recognized how lost he was, uh, he was to be able to approve of Stephen's killing and protect the ones who were killing him. Paul never forgot that day, and I'm sure it impacted the way that he shared his faith in many years to come. Romans 8.28 is a familiar verse to all of us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Acts 8-1 goes on to tell us, And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, Joe asked the question last week, Does suffering and persecution advance Jesus' mission on the earth. I think you guys got all that—or got that question correct. Um, Through the intense persecution by the enemies of the church in Jerusalem, the message of the gospel is not extinguished, but begins to spread like fire. As the dispersed—as the dispersed disciples and dispersed believers— preach in Judea and Samaria. What is amazing with this is that people are being pushed from their homes and daily facing the threat of being killed themselves and losing everything. But they are talking about their faith in Jesus. They are continuing to share the gospel with those around them. And we're going to come back to this idea in a minute, but I wanted to give you the second group that we are called to go and tell, which is our communities. I think it's important that we read in this next verse, verse 2, that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Devout men. Now, that could mean some of the faithful Christians that are around, but it could also have been some of the Jews that were watching this stoning and witnessing and listening to what Stephen said and were moved to show their disapproval of what happened. They ended up giving Stephen a proper burial. Now, lamentation means the passionate expression of grief, sorrow, and weeping. The interesting part about this is, in Jewish culture, it would not have been, uh, it would not have been right for somebody to show an expression of, of mourning to someone who has been stoned. By being, in, by being passionate in their expression of mourning and doing it publicly, they're making themselves targets for the continuing persecution. Remember that Saul and the Jews just killed Stephen for being bold in sharing his faith. And now these people are being bold by publicly mourning. They acted contrary to those Jewish Jewish rules, and they expressed themselves very publicly, okay? We, We see here that they begin to be bold, even if it meant that they could be targeted next. So let's get back to this idea of scattering. Verses 4 through 5 tells us that now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to, a city, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. See, Philip was a deacon. He was one of the seven that, that were appointed to um, care for those Greek widows that we read about in chapter 6. Eight, one told us that those who were scattered were not the apostles. It said, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. You know, this should encourage us as we share our faith, because the people who were scattered and sharing the gospel— we're not necessarily full-time ministers. Philip was a deacon and would have been a layperson just like us. Would have been shepherds, tent makers, carpenters, ordinary, everyday people. The gospel is spreading through those who heard the gospel, responded to it, and began to share it with others. Doesn't that describe each one of us? It's important to understand that those in full-time ministry are not set apart as the only ones with a message worth telling. God has gifted each one of you with abilities to reach others in unique ways. Which comes in handy in our next group which is three other cultures, other cultures. Acts 8-5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So Philip is in Samaria, and the Samaritans are coming to know Jesus. This is the first time that the gospel is spreading beyond Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus told them this would happen, right? If you remember back from chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This was a part of God's plan. It's important to note that the Holy Spirit has not been poured out on the, whole, or on the Samaritans yet, though. As the Samaritans come to believe in Jesus, the apostles come to see this cross-cultural growth that is happening. And as they pray over the Samaritan believers, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Samaritans as well. This delay that happened in waiting uh, until the, the apostles actually got there was likely to ensure that the Samaritans would be counted as being fully a part of God's church, part of God's people. By having the apostles present during the outpouring of the Spirit, there can be no question that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and that there is only one church. Maybe you have read that the Samaritans and Jews argued at times over the location of where to worship the Lord and other differences. And more than that, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They had a deep hatred, hatred of them. This story shows the gospel bringing reconciliation to people who were once enemies. And this is true for all of us today. As well. The gospel can bring reconciliation. The evangeliz- evangelization of Samaria was a critical hurdle for the spread of the gospel for the church and for evangelism. The new covenant people of God would not be comprised of only those who were ethnically Jewish, but it will be comprised of a people of every tribe and every nation there are no boundaries when it comes to evangelism Matthew 28:19 reminds us go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations John 3:16 another very well known verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We need to tell the gospel to anyone, even those who are not like us, from different cultures, from different backgrounds. It's whoever we come in contact with. Our next verse gives us another uh, example. It reveals another answer to the question, who? Verse 6 tells us that, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So what question does this answer? It's who? Because it's Anyone who is listening, okay? And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Philip spoke to the crowds, and they listened, and many of them believed. People gathered around, and many of them paid attention to what was being said. There's something about Scripture and the gospel that causes people to listen. Have you ever been in a group of of people and somebody shared a scripture verse? Did pretty much everyone stop and listen to consider what was said? What are some of the responses that stick out in your mind when somebody is asked, for example, How are you doing? Somebody the other day that I wasn't expecting to say this said, I am blessed. I didn't realize he—I <laughs> he, knew that he went to church and things, but I didn't realize he was, was really that outspoken in his faith. faith. Um, I'm sure you've heard people say, better than I deserve. There's many other things. By the show of hands, I, I just want to see real quick. By the show of hands this morning, how many of you in this room has heard somebody in this room answer this question, you know, how are you doing? And they answered it with these words. It is well with my soul. Look around. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? Why does Rodney's response capture our attention? (laughs) It's because it's grounded in Scripture. There's a verse in the song that says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, right? And there's lots of other, other verses in there, but it's grounded in scriptures, like Psalm 46one 3 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It is well with Rodney's soul because of God's word. He knows that his refuge and strength is in the Lord. Scriptures speak to us like nothing else. It is the very words of God. This is something that we hear and see in Rodney's response. People hear and see as we communicate. Talking about Philip in the end of verse 6, we see that they heard him and saw the signs that he did. They heard with their ears and saw with their eyes. In other words, we are told that Philip's ministry was one of word and deed. They heard him speak about Jesus in the scriptures and saw the things that he did. The same can be true for you and I. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to share God's word and demonstrate his unconditional love through our words and actions towards others. For those of you who have tried to share the gospel before, I'm sure that your experience has taught you sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. Not so great. It's really up for the Lord to change people's hearts, though. In verses 9, 25, we learn about Simon the magician. We need to realize that some may begin a relationship with Jesus— and some may not. Let's read through this next section. It says this, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time He had amazed them with his magic. Stop there for just a second. I just wanted to make a note that people have always been searching for answers to life. But true joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. People are listening. So let's get back to to the rest of this passage. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God— In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, And in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, there is a lot in this passage that we could unpack this morning. Um, But because of time and and other constraints, I'm only going to touch on a couple of things. Commentators differ over whether Simon had genuine saving faith. For we are told at the beginning of this section that he believed. However, some believe that Peter's strong rebuke of Simon, calling him to repent soon after, would suggest that that Simon did not have genuine saving faith and that his desire to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit disclosed the condition of his heart and that he did not truly belong to the people of God. The strong language in verse 23, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, also seems to classify Simon as an unbeliever. Whether Simon was truly ever repentant is not completely clear. It seems that part of Simon's problem was that he focused on the miracle instead of the one that the miracle came from throughout acts you notice that the disciples are quick to point people to the lord because they want to see they want people to see jesus and not themselves they have a humility because they want jesus to be bigger than themselves simon is struggling with pride because he wants this power to make himself bigger keeping the focus on the lord is important we should always try to make jesus the center of our ministries so that people see jesus and not the ones pointing to him because we are imperfect people john 330 tells us he must increase but i must decrease The reality is that not everyone who hears the message through music or sermons or other ministries will come to have a relationship with Christ. Regardless of whether the person you are sharing with comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ or not, we are to share the gospel to those who are listening. And you don't have to go far to find people who are listening. It could be your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, it could be the pizza delivery guy. Who knows who the Lord will bring into your life. But God can guide and direct them to you and the Holy Spirit will bring people into your life that need to hear the gospel. So the last grouping that we are going to look at this morning is those who the Holy Spirit leads you to. I'm only going to touch on this one today, because after Christmas, we're going to be picking, after our Christmas series, we're going to be picking up this series in Acts with these verses. So I'm just going to read the beginning part of this. So the last part of this chapter, we learn that we are to go to those the Holy Spirit leads us to. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian. We'll stop right there for a, a second. Now I would love, I would love it, if if an angel of the Lord or the Holy Spirit would talk to me as clearly as he did to Philip. (laughs) But we all know that Jesus and God speaks to us all in different ways, right? Sometimes it's very clear, and we know exactly what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say. And at other times, it's just a whisper or a nudge, and it's sometimes hard to even notice. It's important for us to ask the Lord to help us to recognize when he is speaking to us and that he would help us in getting better at hearing him speak to us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is fresh every morning. It's it's new every day. He moves in ways that we can't anticipate. And so we should try to be uh, be sensitive to the influence in our lives. As we exercise our faith, however small that may be, God is able to do amazing things that helps us to build our faith. The Holy Spirit told Philip to walk to a desert, walk into a desert, probably in the middle of nowhere, to a road. I was amazed that that Kay shared what he did at the at the ministry, Mike. These are the things that Jason and I were talking about. Things are being said that that we didn't expect. But think of that desert place in the middle of nowhere. Do you remember what Jesus' words were in Matthew 22, 9? He said, Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Where was this man from again? He was from Ethiopia, right? Psalm 68, 31 tells us that nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Ethiopia was known as Cush by the ancient Egyptians. The Ethiopians were looked upon As the meanest, most despicable nation. But Philip did not see them or see this man as a foreigner who did not need to hear the good news. For God so loves who? The world, right? We have every reason to believe that this man was saved to carry the gospel back to his own country where he lived. So we see in this passage, the gospel being spread to all the world. As I close this morning, I'm going to invite the the worship team to to come up. And as I looked at this passage, as I studied chapter 8, I began to realize that this wasn't a bunch of stories just about the early church and the gospel. See, this was also my story of salvation. And it could also be your story. You see, I was once an enemy of God in a sense that I was sinful, and at times my life did not have a strong desire to know the Lord and follow him. But there are people in my life that were bold, and they were faithful in sharing the gospel and showing the love of Jesus to me, and I began to listen. One of them was a youth director named Lori that helped me to better understand God's word and helped teach me what faith was really about. What did she tell me? She shared scriptures with me and told me her testimony of the miracle that God performed in her physically healing a hole in her heart that she was scheduled to have surgery for and no longer needed the surgery. But this was not the real miracle here. We all know that one day, her physical heart will stop beating. And the physical healing of her body is temporary and will fade. The true miracle is that Jesus healed her heart spiritually. She dedicated her life to serving the Lord, and many of my friends are Christians today. Because she shared the gospel and how it impacted her life, and she shared it to the people around her. And that true miracle, Jesus Christ, and the offer of salvation, became a reality in my life as well. And I hope to share that miracle with others that the Lord brings into my life. If you're here today, or maybe you're even listening in on YouTube and feel like there's something missing in your life, that you have a spiritual hole in your heart, that you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to reach out to somebody today. Pray that God would help you to understand And bring somebody to you that can help you to understand who he is. For those of you who know Jesus, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And as you have conversations with others, consider how you may be able to share the gospel. Go and tell. We finished worship right before the break. With the song that said, "Tell the world of the treasures you found." Go and tell.